This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Hypoparathyroidism is a rare condition that's caused by the lack of functional parathyroid glands. The condition can lead to a long list of complications, including muscle pain, brain fog, and damage to the kidneys. Amylet Pharma is developing a therapeutic peptide to treat hypoparathyroidism. We spoke to Mark Sumeray, Chief Medical Officer of Amylet, about what it's like for people living with the condition why it's difficult to manage with current medical approaches, and why therapeutic peptides offer a compelling approach for hypothyroidism and other endocrine disorders. Mark, thanks for joining us. That's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about hypoparathyroidism, amylot, and its efforts to develop a therapeutic peptide to treat people with a condition. Let's start with hypoparathyroidism. For people not familiar with the condition, what is it? Well, most people will never have heard of hypoparathyroidism. It's quite a rare disease. It it probably affects around 80,000 people in total in the United States. And it's caused by uh, a damage to or removal of the parathyroid glands, which are very, very tiny uh, glands that produce a hormone called parathyroid hormone. And these glands actually sit behind the thyroid gland in the neck. And usually patients with this condition have had surgery, uh, sometimes radiotherapy to the thyroid gland. And in the process, their parathyroid glands have been injured or inadvertently removed uh, by the surgeon. Very rarely uh, patients have this condition because they have a genetic disease, which obviously they've been born with, where they don't develop normal parathyroid glands, or occasionally an autoimmune condition where the body's own immune system attacks the tissues of the parathyroid glands itself. Uh, But the most common situation, as I mentioned, is surgery to the thyroid gland. This is a a condition that can have broad effects on tissue and organ systems throughout the body. How does it manifest itself and progress? Well, the main problem that you get when your parathyroid glands don't work well is difficulty maintaining normal levels of calcium and phosphorus in the blood. And in particular, the symptoms of the condition are related to low levels of calcium, 
which occur once the glands stop working properly. <clears throat> and this can result in uh, neurological symptoms such as tingling, pins and needles, numbness, um, muscle symptoms like muscle pain and muscle cramps, even muscle spasms, which can be very painful. And also a more insidious condition, which patients describe as brain fog, which is really best explained as a difficulty concentrating, uh, performing normal everyday tasks, uh, remembering routine things. It can be very debilitating for, for patients. And, uh, and those are the main symptoms. And sometimes they can occur very dramatically, um, often after a surgical procedure, like the, the one I mentioned, the th removal of the thyroid. Um, but sometimes they can come on more slowly. And when that happens, it can take quite some time for the condition to be diagnosed properly. I, I suspect when, when it's a result of a surgical procedure, whether it's intentional or accidental, people are quite aware of what's happened. But how difficult is this to diagnose in cases where people have it due to other causes? Well, it can be quite difficult because like many rare diseases, it's not front of mind. And in particular, when patients develop these kinds of symptoms slowly uh, and they start off relatively mild, uh, but they become more troublesome over time. Usually the first physician uh, that a patient will go to, maybe a general uh, internist or general medicine or general practitioner who may not be a specialist, an endocrinologist or a specialist that deals with, with hormones like this. So sometimes, you know, the, the diagnosis can be delayed for months, uh, even possibly longer, years, until the patient eventually reaches a, a knowledgeable specialist who thinks about the diagnosis. And then the diagnosis is made very quickly with a simple blood test, looking at the levels of parathyroid hormone in the blood and the level of uh, calcium. Now, what's generally the greatest risk someone with the condition faces? Well, I guess I'd split it into two. Um, the first would be the very acute, severe presentation when perhaps for reasons which um, nowadays I think probably are quite rare, uh, it hasn't been realized uh, or, or considered or thought of uh, as a complication after thyroid surgery. And, and that can be uh, quite a dramatic uh, presentation, even life-threatening, and can require the patient to be uh, in hospital and treated with intravenous medication, including calcium. The other um, more likely scenario is that it, it uh, occurs more gradually. And, um, and then once the diagnosis has been made, the patient will normally be treated by giving them calcium tablets, supplementing their diet with calcium, as well as, the, uh, as an active form of vitamin D, which is necessary to help uh, absorb calcium from the diet. This is a, a condition that affects far more women than men. Is it particularly difficult to diagnose men with the condition? No, um, it's probably, you know, perhaps because it occurs more often in women, it it's, may not be quite so readily considered as a, as a diagnosis. But actually, the reason that it occurs more frequently in women than men is because women 
um, of a certain age, usually peri or postmenopausal women, uh, are more commonly um, in a situation where they need to have their thyroid gland removed, um, usually for thyroid cancer, because thyroid cancer occurs more common in um, middle-aged or elderly women than it does in, in men. So that's, that's the reason, but the, the condition can occur in men. Uh, it's just a bit less common. And it's one of these diseases where people can suffer symptoms long before they're actually diagnosed. What's the impact of this condition on the quality of life for patients? It has a substantial impact, actually. <clears throat> and I divide that into two reasons. Um, the first is that even on standard treatment, which, as I mentioned, is calcium tablets, often large doses of calcium tablets, and, and the active form of vitamin D, it can be difficult to control the blood calcium levels as well as you would be able to if you had normal functioning parathyroid glands. So <clears throat> the treatment that doctors use to manage patients is simply not that good. And as a result uh, of the poor control of calcium levels in the blood, the patients suffer from the symptoms I mentioned before. Um, in particularly debilitating is this brain fog problem that they have. Um, but the other part of this is the longer term complications of the disease, <clears throat> because with the uh, difficulty um, that results from not having parathyroid hormone in, in, in the body, um, it results in excessive amounts of calcium being lost in the urine. And this is damaging to the kidneys in particular uh, because it increases the risk of kidney stones and, and also a disease called nephrocalcinosis, which is really a, a deposition of calcium salts in the tissue of the kidney itself. And that's damaging to the kidney. So over time, patients develop a progressively deteriorating kidney function. So that's um, a serious issue and doctors try to minimize um, the amount of calcium that leaks into the urine, but they're not always that successful in doing it. And the other part of this is that calcium as well as phosphate, which I mentioned right at the beginning, can, can form deposits in other organs, um, particularly in the brain, um, and that can cause much longer term complications as well. So <clears throat> it's quite a serious debilitating disease partly because of the symptoms I mentioned, but also because of the long-term complications. You joined the company after six years as chief medical officer of Amrit Pharma, a commercial stage rare disease company. What attracted you to take a job at a development stage company? Well, I certainly enjoy the, the, the challenge of developing new drugs to treat rare diseases. And I would say that the attractive part of working at Amulet is the opportunity to work with a very innovative novel peptide, uh, which is the, the, the drug, the molecule that uh, we have in development, which has the potential to really make a substantial difference to patients who are suffering from this condition. And the chance to be involved with the, the molecule early on and 
to to help shepherd it through the various stages in clinical development and then ultimately through the hopefully the approval process with the FDA and uh, other health authorities around the world is very rewarding so <clears throat> i you know i get a lot of personal satisfaction out of um, being involved in that process from early on all the way through and of course it's um there's more of the focus in that area at amulet rather than amrit which was a little bit more later stage commercial uh company as, as you said amulet is focused on peptide therapeutics what makes these compelling therapies for endocrine disorders like hypoparathyroidism well the nice thing about um working with endocrine disorders is that usually the the mechanism of the disease is quite well understood so you know we can think of lots of examples of other diseases which unfortunately have been very difficult and very challenging uh, for the pharmaceutical industry to develop new drug treatments for because we don't really understand why you know what's the pathology and what what's gone wrong <clears throat> and so we don't understand what to target in the case of endocrine uh, diseases uh, it is usually more straightforward um, because we understand in general how various hormones work to maintain control or balance uh, of different factors in the blood um, and around the body which are important to keep constant um, we understand how those hormones act where they act and which receptors for example and which tissues so in that situation it provides an opportunity to either treat the endocrine or the hormonal problem with the missing hormone itself and you know there's plenty of examples of that and probably uh, insulin for diabetes is the one that people would be most familiar with um, or to uh, to come up with a copy or something which is very similar to the natural hormone like a peptide therapeutic drug uh, such as the one that Amelis is developing, which mimics the activity of the of the natural hormone. So <clears throat> it's a it's a nice area to work in um, because you have a really uh, probably a better chance of success because of all of this knowledge um, and being able to predict how these therapeutic drugs will work. Oh, let, let's talk about your lead therapeutic candidate, AZP thirty six zero one which is being developed as a treatment for hypoparathyroidism. What is it and, and how does it work? Well, it's actually, um, it's a peptide, which is basically a short uh, protein made up of individual building blocks that are called amino acids. And it's actually been um, uh, created, if you like, by medicinal chemists and scientists who worked at the Mass General Hospital in Boston, um, who have an, um, an expert knowledge of how the parathyroid hormone receptor works and how to design a peptide molecule that will interact with that receptor in exactly the right way to create the effect that's missing when parathyroid hormone isn't being produced by the, by the, the parathyroid hormone glands. So these scientists uh, started with a sequence of amino acids, uh, which comes from the natural hormone, parathyroid hormone, and also a related uh, hormone called parathyroid hormone related peptide. 
and they they joined these two molecules together and then they started to play around with them by changing some of the amino acids and um, as they did that they were able to come up with a particular sequence uh, a unique peptide which had exactly the right properties in terms of being able to interact with the receptor for the hormone in the right way and produce a very long effect so that when you give this drug by injection, it gives you a very sustained impact on um, calcium levels so that you can control calcium over a long period of time, even though the drug is just a single injection once a day and it has a short half-life, so it doesn't circulate in the bloodstream very long. So these are all you know, basically ways that, um, that the scientists manipulated the, the, the basic sequence of the peptide to come up with exactly the properties that they were looking for. The company announced positive results from a phase 2A study. What's known about the safety and efficacy of AZP3601 to date? Well, it hasn't been in a, a very large number of patients yet. Uh, but as you say, the phase 2A data uh, we announced recently are very promising. Um, so what we did was we took uh, 26 patients with hypoparathyroidism uh, and they were entered into the study and treated with the new drug AZP3601. And we were able to demonstrate that we could control the level of calcium in their blood over a three-month period by adjusting the dose of the drug and at the same time withdrawing the supplements that they were taking, the oral calcium supplements and the active form of vitamin D. So they ended up on the drug alone without the need to be taking these large doses of calcium and vitamin D, which is exactly what we wanted to try to achieve. At the same time, uh, we also saw a very nice uh, effect, uh, promising effect on calcium in the urine. I mentioned this earlier, you don't want to have high amounts of calcium in the urine. The kidney should be able to reabsorb calcium and stop it from leaking into the urine. And with this drug, this ability of the kidneys to reabsorb calcium is, is restored. So normalizing the amount of calcium in the urine. And the other uh, observation that we made, which is very important, is that we saw that bone metabolism started up again. So one of the things I didn't mention earlier is that in this disease, because parathyroid hormone is missing, you don't have the normal turnover of bone. It's something that people often don't realize. You All the time, your bone is being broken down and being formed so that you break down old bone and, and produce new bone. In, in this condition of hypoparathyroidism, that doesn't happen. And so these patients accumulate old bone, which is not normal in terms of its structure and it's um, not normal in terms of its ability to resist stress. So it's increased risk of fracturing. Uh, and so with the drug, we saw a resumption of normal turnover, a balanced increase in both bo bone formation and bone resorption. So that's all very important. And in addition, perhaps most importantly, we saw that the drug was well tolerated. So we didn't see any side effects that we were concerned about. There were no issues in keeping the patients on the drug. Um, they weren't dropping off the drug because they couldn't tolerate it for any reason. So we were very encouraged overall by the safety uh, profile as well as the efficacy that we saw in this relatively small, short study. And what's the development path forward? 
So now we need to enlarge the, the pool of patients that we're going to study from the 26 patient study that I mentioned to one which would probably have, let's say, approximately 160 patients. And that's what we call a phase three study or a pivotal study. And we're going to randomize patients either to placebo treatment plus their usual care, which is calcium tablets and uh, vitamin D, or the drug. Um, and if they get randomized to the drug, then they will probably be able to come off those supplements. And we're going to compare how those two groups of patients do during a six month treatment period. And at the end of the six months, we're going to look at the ability to control, how well controlled is the blood level of calcium and how successful were we in withdrawing the supplements, as well as looking at some of the other factors that we've already mentioned, like the amount of calcium in the urine and also the impact on patients' quality of life. So we're going to collect information using special questionnaires that patients will fill in and that information will tell us how they're feeling, uh, and how they're functioning. And those two things are in incredibly important to patients, of course, and very valuable information, not just for uh, health authorities like the FDA, but also for healthcare systems and physicians that are considering whether or not to use the, the product and, and whether or not to pay for it ultimately if it gets approved. Is this something the company expects to commercialize on its own or is it going to seek a partner to do that? Well, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I would say at this point, we don't have, a f uh, we haven't made any firm decisions. Um, I think it's likely that the company would commercialize the product on its own in the United States. Um, and in other countries around the world, I think that's an open question. So, you know, we may, we may choose to do it uh, in Europe, some countries in Europe, uh, we may uh, choose to partner with another company that has the resources to be able to market and distribute the product in places around the world where it, it probably is more sensible for them to do it than for a small company like Amelit to do it. So we'll we'll see as we get closer to the to the time. Mark Summeray, Chief Medical Officer of Amelot Pharma. Mark, thanks so much for your time today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. <laughs>